You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Good morning. My name is Marty, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to worship with you this morning. We're in the middle of a series on the sayings of Jesus called the Beatitudes, found in Matthew 5. And we're looking this morning at the seventh Beatitude, which is, blessed are the peacemakers. And this is the most well-known and loved Beatitude. And I think that's because there's this longing for peace in all of it. So my family lives at the end of a sleepy dead-end street just off the Trans-Canada Trail. And even in this quiet little place, we find conflict. So we have a marauding bobcat and some coyotes that parents have to protect their little kids from and animals. We have fights between neighbors. We had a drunk man in a car ram police cars. And we even had a car torched in the middle of the night just outside our house. And it began to spread wild. And luckily, a neighbor with an insomnia was awake and had called the fire department before it spread to our house. So we even had a wild domestic incident outside our house. So we were eating dinner. We heard this screaming. Those who were conflict avoiders just kind of ignored it. And the rest of us ran outside. And there was a man and a woman fighting. The woman jumped into her car, locked the doors. The man jumped on the roof of the car, was holding on with all fours and screaming in rage. And so I got out my phone to call 911. I don't know if they could have helped. But my son-in-law, who's Dutch and very assertive, ran out onto the road and shouted, act normal! <laughs> and, uh, and somehow it shocked the couple. The woman stopped the car. The man jumped off the roof. She drove off, and he turned to my son-in-law and sa- said, you're right, man. Thanks. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> So my son-in-law's attempt at peacekeeping did bring peace to our neighborhood, but I'm pretty sure it did not bring peace to that couple. Um, But we live in a world where every corner in our homes, on our streets, in our city is filled with conflict. And so this is not God's dream for the world, but let's read uh, Matthew 5, 1 to 12 together. So do you want to stand with me? Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, please be seated. All right, let's pray together. So God, we thank you for this 
sermon that Jesus gave, we thank you for the way it is still speaking into our lives today. We ask that you will take this word and work it into our hearts this morning. Amen. So over the last many weeks, you've heard us say that the Beatitudes are not eight individual characteristics that we try and claim. Instead, we're looking at the different qualities of one people, the people who are living in sync with God's kingdom. And through these Beatitudes, Jesus is announcing that God is at work bringing the life of the age to come into his people right now. And we are a kingdom people, and our character is meant to reflect kingdom values. And so Jesus is inviting us into this revolutionary, upside-down way of being in the world that leads to human flourishing. So he says, blessed are those who are spiritually empty, who mourn over their sin, who are gentle and pure of heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now this morning, we're going to talk about what this peace is how, and how the people of God are invited to join with God's peacemaking work. And finally, what are some signs that we as individuals are ready to engage in peacemaking? So first, what is God's peacemaking project? Now the word peace in the Bible has a larger scope than maybe we think of. It's not just we feel at peace internally. It's not that there's an abs just an absence of war. But when the Bible uses the word peace, think of the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom means well-being or wholeness, harmony with God, with the earth, and with each other. And it includes every aspect of life. And it has a moral dimension of standing against oppression. It's often paired with the words righteousness and justice. The word flourishing is sometimes used to describe this biblical vision of shalom. So it's clear as we look around the world, we do not see this kind of peace in the world. And I don't think there's any time in recorded history where we, rem we remember that people have been at peace. But the Bible teaches that this lack of peace is not the way that it has always been and not the way God meant it to be. And so if we go all the way back to creation, to the Genesis stories of creation, we can see what shalom looks like. And let's, we're going to focus on Genesis 2 this morning. But in Genesis 2, the first man is created. He's created out of the ground, and his job is to take care of the ground and to serve it. And then the woman is created from the side of the man. She's created as a rescuer to save the man from his aloneness. And the man and the woman are naked and unashamed, and they walk in harmony with God. And the ground from which they come provides food for them and they take care of the ground. So there's harmonious interconnection between everything, and there is shalom. But this is quickly broken, and in Genesis 3 and 4, we see how. So first, humanity rebels against God, and then their eyes are open. They feel shame and self-consciousness. The man blames the woman. The woman blames the serpent, and their relationship with their creator is broken. And then uh, the relationship with the earth is broken. And, and God speaks to the man. He said, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plant of the field by the sweat of your brow. 
The relationship between the man and woman is also broken. It's broken by power and desire. And in verse 16, God says to the woman, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Then the man and the woman are removed from the garden. And in Genesis 4, their son Cain kills his brother Abel. And in verses 11 and 12, it says, the ground refuses to produce crops for Cain as a result of his violence. If we move on to Genesis 6, we'll see that humanity continues to bring violence and conflict and disrupt shalom. And in verses 11 and 12, it says, the earth was ruined because of the violence of humans. The shalom of creation has been destroyed by the rebellion of humanity. And Genesis 6, 6 describes God's emotions around this. It says that God is deeply troubled by all that humans have done. And when we live into, in rebellion with God, there is no peace. But God's dream is to restore peace, is to bring his kingdom on earth and to make all things right. And so the Bible prophesies that peace will come. In Isaiah 11, 6 to 9, Isaiah writes, the wolf will lie with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Wouldn't that be amazing? And then Isaiah, in Isaiah 2, 4, prophesies that war will be gone. And he says, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will take up, not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And I think we long for that. We long for that kind of peace. And then Revelation 21, 4, John writes, that he, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So God is the one who is doing this. God is intent on bringing his shalom. And so God sent his son Jesus to enter the world and to restore peace. And Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. In Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah calls the Messiah Prince of Peace. And in Zechariah 9, 9 and 10, God promises that the Messiah will bring peace. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus comes to bring a kingdom of peace. And he came in a time uh, where a political, uh, with a political system that dominated the political system of Rome. And Rome had their own vision of peace. So it was called Pax Romana. And this is a peace focused on security, stability, and prosperity. And a peace fostered and maintained by brute force, by military power, and by fear. And Jesus came to a people who were under the cruel power of Rome. And they were longing for a Messiah to overthrow their Roman rulers. But Jesus was not coming to bring peace by force. This was not his way. And throughout his life, when Jesus prayed and taught and healed and challenged people, he demonstrated what a peacemaker looks like. And that Jesus' kingdom is not going to be established with power, but with service and self-sacrifice. And many of Jesus' followers were disappointed in this. Even some of his closest disciples, they continued to hope that Jesus would break the power of Rome right up to the end. But instead, we see that Jesus himself bore the tremendous cost of peace in his own body, and he was arrested 
and he was crucified. And, Jesus, and God establishes uh, his kingdom through the cross. And the way of the cross is what Jesus' disciples are invited to live out and to be in sync with. So when we think of peace, we need to think of the cross. And the first step in, in entering into this kingdom of peace is to receive the peace that Jesus brings. And Billy Graham, who was a 20th century Christian leader, um, described it this way in his diagram. Um, and this diagram shows that people and God are separated. They're separated by human sin and rebellion. And Jesus invites us to lay down our resistance to God and to come home. So as this beatitude describes, peace with God comes when we're at rock bottom, when we recognize we are poor in spirit, when we mourn over our sin, and when we humbly receive what God has done for us. And Jesus, through the cross, offers forgiveness for sin. And when we receive this gift, Jesus restores our peace with God, and we step into an abundant life. Shalom comes when we submit and take our place as God's children. And so in Romans 5.1, Paul describes how Jesus brings us peace. And he says, by faith, you have been made acceptable to God. And now, thanks to our Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. But Jesus, the peace Jesus brings extends well beyond this individual peace between us and God. And we see Jesus bring uh, peace between conflicted ethnic groups, particularly between Jews and Gentiles. And Paul observes the results of what Jesus has done in Ephesians 2, 14 to 18. He writes this, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside his in the, his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create himself, in himself one new humanity out of the two, the Jews and the Gentiles, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away, the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, the Jews, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So Jesus brings Jews and Gentiles together through the cross and forms one people of God. And today, Jesus continues to unite people across ethnic lines. And so one of the things I've noticed in the church in Vancouver is how ethnically diverse we're coming, becoming. And this is amazing. What an amazing gift for us to worship side by side with people of other ethnicities who speak other languages. And right now, we even have Farsi translation going on. I don't know how many of you are receiving that translation, but that's an amazing thing that we can come together as the people of God and worship together. It's this vision that John writes about in Revelation 12. God is building his kingdom of peace reconciling nation to nation. And this isn't just happening here. It's happening all over the world. And in Romans 8.20, Paul writes that the peace of the kingdom will ultimately extend to the healing of all creation. And he talks about how creation groans for redemption. Now, Paul wrote this in the first century. How much more does creation groan for redemption now in the 21st century after centuries of the Industrial Revolution? But Jesus is going to bring peace to the earth itself. 
And there's so much kingdom work that we can do and we can trust that God is at work, that God's kingdom is expanding. There are more followers of Jesus on the earth now than in any time in history. And as we, Jesus people, are being in, we are being invited in to share in God's peacemaking project. And so God's shalom grows as God's kingdom works its way from our heart and heads into our hands. Now this invitation to be peacemakers is an awesome privilege. Beatitude people can make peace in the world. Do you believe that? What an honor God gives us to be called, to step in and be peacemakers. And that's why peacemakers are called the children of God, because they look like God and they act like God. Peacemakers are people of action. They take risky steps in the middle of conflict. So maybe we can think of someone like Martin Luther King Jr. here. He was heavily influenced by his faith, particularly by the Christian writer and peacemaker Leo Tolstoy. And King stepped into the 60s, a time of great conflict and the evil of racism, and he relies on the peaceful way of Jesus to stand up to evil, and God begins to bring justice through his faithfulness. Now, those of us who take on the label Christian are not always living in sync with God's kingdom ways, and we're often tempted to use power and rely on methods of God's opponent, the evil one. So the evil one's methods are, as one writer calls, a global version of Pax Romana, working through manipulation, extortion, and power politics. The church has messed up so often and used these methods to try and win. And when the church takes an offensive posture, we may win the battle, but we'll lose the war, especially if we treat our opponents badly. And we've seen this throughout the history of the church, the Crusades, the conquests of the Americas. In the late 20th century in the former Yugoslavia, there was ethnic cleansing of Bosnian Muslims by nominally Christian Bosnian Serbs. And it was condoned by the church. So the Metropolitan Nikolai, the highest-ranking church official in Bosnia, publicly endorsed the ethnic cleansing policy as following the hard road of Christ. Was he ever wrong? And in the last year, the patriarch Kirill, the head of the Russian Orthodox Church, has told his followers who are fighting in the Ukrainian invasion, sacrifice in the course of carrying out your military duty washes away all your sins. Wow. So even south of the border, we see aggressive tactics on the right and the left claiming Christian sanction. But this is not the way of Jesus. So what does it like, look like to be Jesus' people in the face of evil and injustice? How do we avoid being people who use power instead of peace? And I think we need to walk in step with the Spirit. We need imagination and creativity to discern a response to peacelessness. Christian activist Shane Claiborne challenges us with the following. He says, peacemaking doesn't mean passivity. It is the act of interrupt, interrupting injustice without mirroring injustice. The act of disarming evil without destroying the evildoer the act of finding a third way that is neither fight nor flight, but the careful, arduous pursuit of reconciliation and justice. 
It is about a revolution of love that is big enough to set both the oppressed and the oppressor free. So interrupting without mirroring injustice, disarming evil without destruction, and bringing reconciliation that sets the oppressed and the oppressor free. That's a beautiful vision because often the oppressed become the oppressor when they're set free. And I think Claiborne here has captured the challenge of peacemaking, the wisdom that's required and why it is impossible to achieve it without the work of the spirit. Now, if you want to think more about this, if you have questions, like questions like, should Christians serve in the military or in the police? Is war ever justified? David's going to address those questions on Tuesday night. <laughs> so I want to invite you to his class at 7. We don't have time to talk about those this morning. And those are important questions, and they're good questions. And we probably all lean in different places. And the church over the years has never come to a consensus on those things. But there is a lot of risk in peacemaking. And before we as individuals or as a church dive deeply into peacemaking, I think there needs to be, be significant changes in our heart and in our lives in order for realistic hope that we can bring peace into conflicted situations. And so I'm going to talk about four signs that we are becoming peacemakers. So the first sign is that we are at peace with God ourselves that our relationship with our creator is deep and growing. We're becoming more grateful for all that God has done. We're free to worship and delighted to become children of God. And our own fear is shrinking. So we can take on a posture of humility. We see that developed in our lives. And we are giving up our power and privilege and serving others. So our character is changing. Now, a very feisty and assertive member of my old small group at my old church came up to me one day and told me the story of her traffic conflict. And at the time, our small group was studying spiritual disciplines to develop the character of Christ, that would help develop the character of Christ in us. And around that time, she was driving in very heavily backed up traffic on the North Shore. I don't know if you've ever been stuck on the North Shore, but it can be really bad. And so a guy cut her off and she was enraged and she shook her fist and swore at him. And then she got stuck, the traffic stopped, and she was sitting in the car, and the Spirit began to speak to her. And so she felt prompted by God to get out of her car, to run up a couple cars up, and to knock on the man's window. And he unrolled his window, and she apologized. And he was shocked and grateful for the apology. And those who win people's hearts are meek and merciful. And my friend learned a lesson that day. The second sign that we are becoming peacemakers is that we are addressing our own unhealthy ways of dealing with conflict. So there's always a tendency in us to either move to fear and self-protection when we meet conflict or the opposite of wanting payback and revenge. So are you a peacekeeper or a peacebreaker? Maybe think about that. So I think most of us have a kind of leaning, which apart from the work of the Spirit in our lives, makes it impossible for us to be peacemakers. So let's look at those of us who are peacekeepers or peace lovers. We're really likely more conflict avoiders. 
but we like to frame it nicely. So we do what it takes to not disturb the peace, no matter the cost. We lead with apology and compromise, avoidance and giving in. And when I was first married, my husband was a peacemaker or a peacekeeper, sorry, he was a peacekeeper and I thought everything was going great in our marriage. And then one day he blew up and he said, you've been doing this for months and it makes me so angry. And I can't actually remember what I'd been doing that bothered him, but I remember how awful I felt because he had created this false peace in our marriage by his silence and avoidance. And we had to work really hard over the coming years to move our marriage from a peacekeeping one to a peacemaking one. And we've done it. But some of the us are the opposite of peacekeepers. And you might want to call us troublemakers. And uh, so we lead with anger and assertiveness. We assert our rights. We withhold forgiveness until the other person is sufficiently paid for whatever they've done for us. Um, so a few weeks back, I was parking my car at a local ph pharmacy. How much do our conflicts involve driving? I don't know. And uh, so my... My, I looked behind me where there was a wheelchair spot and so I, oh, I thought, oh, maybe I'm in one and I checked, definitely not in a wheelchair spot. So I got out of my car, got about 10 meters from my car and an old man came up to me and he angrily said, are you in a wheelchair spot? And I was like, I knew I wasn't. <laughs> but as a result of his confrontation with me, I felt really angry. It stirred up anger in me. And that man's goal was good. He was trying to ensure that nobody parked in a wheelchair spot unless they needed it. Um, but his methodology was far from peacemaking. It actually was war making. And I have to confess at that point that I wanted to defend myself or tell him to mind his own business, uh, but I didn't. Um, but neither troublemakers or conflict avoiders reflect the character of a person living in sync with the kingdom. We need God's work in us to transform us from being conflict avoiders or troublemakers and give us courage to step into conflict with grace and humility. The third sign we're becoming a peacemaker is we are becoming more outward looking. And as we experience God's peace in our hearts and, and our hearts expand, we look and we see the conflict and strife around us and we want to see God's peace enter in and we ask God through his spirit to develop in us a new way of seeing others. So when we meet people, instead of asking the, uh, the question, you know, will they like me? Will I like them? Are we a good, will we connect? You know, are they kind of at my level? We now look at them and we ask the question, what is God doing in this person and how can I help them along? And so when God uh, presents an opportunity we have an opportunity to share the good news and we take advantage of it. Sometimes we share our story of how, we, how God brought peace into our lives and sometimes we listen and we prod and we probe. The last sign that we are ready to become peacemakers is that we are, pre we are prepared to suffer to bring peace. Now this is the eighth beatitude. Blessed are the persecuted. And this comes right after blessed are the peacemakers. When we ask, act as peacemakers, um, as opposed to peacekeepers, we can expect to be persecuted. 
And just after the first service, someone came up to me and told me uh, a story that they're experiencing. They're experiencing persecution right now because they stepped in to be a peacemaker. And a peacemaker steps into the middle of the battle and takes risks. And, it, and this is engaging in spiritual warfare because the enemy loves to stir up dissension. The enemy doesn't want peace. And peace involves making sacrifice. We can see this in Jesus. In Colossians 1, 19 to 20, Paul reminds us of how Jesus made peace. And Jesus made peace through his blood on the cross. And the story of the early church shows us that Jesus' peace can be very costly. But throughout history, thousands of Christians who became per martyrs or were persecuted testify to Christ's peace in the midst of persecution, pain, intimidation, and death. Fox's Book of Martyrs describes one such man. His name is Telemachus, and he's, he was a hermit from the east, and he lived in, the, in around 400 AD. And so during this time, Rome had been at war with the Goths, and Rome had just defeated the Gothic king Alaric in northern Italy. And Telemachus happens to show up in Rome just in time for the victory celebrations. And these celebrations included gladiatorial fights, where gladiators would fight to the death in the Colosseum. And so Telemachus heads off to the Colosseum, and he decides it's time to stop these bloody games. So the crowds had gathered that day, and they were shouting and cheering. And every time a fighter was killed, they would shout, he has had it. Now, Telemachus finally has had it. And so he jumps into the, from the crowd onto the floor of the Colosseum. And he's no longer a spectator, but now he's an activist and a peacemaker. And he screams out, do not reject God's mercy in turning away the swords of your enemies by murdering each other. But the gladiators ignore him, and they continue to fight. And he runs between the gladiators trying to stop the fight. And the crowds start booing him. And one very annoyed gladiator just takes his sword and runs Telemachus through. And then the crowds stone him, and Telemachus dies. But news spreads through Rome that this... A uh, hermit, this innocent man, has been killed. And they're shocked that such a gentleman has been slain. And so Telemachus' courage and boldness speaks to God's mercy and love. And the games are changed forever. He loses his life fighting for peace. But soon after his death, the gladiatorial battles were banned from the Colosseum. And Telemachus achieved the impossible. So we live in a very different time than Telemachus. But what are the ways that God is calling us to enter into our time and culture? Hello. Uh, <laughs> what, what, are the, what are the ways that God is calling us to enter into our time and culture and to bring peace? And I, I want to encourage you to start small. Begin to think, how can you bring peace to where you are. And as we begin to walk in sync with Jesus, Jesus will open up more doors and more opportunities for us. So our first role as peacemaker is always to invite other people into peace with God. So sharing the good news of Jesus. Now it was a young woman who was living in such a way who initially opened my heart up to Jesus. I was 15, she was a university student, 
And she was kind and warm, and she had this very positive energy about her. And as I got to know her, um, I wanted to be like her. And she told me that the reason she had so much joy in her life is because of her relationship with Jesus. And this drew me to Jesus. And I didn't know, really know what that meant at 15, but as I walked with Jesus, I realized that it was a call to reorient my whole life around Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and you recognize that you don't have peace with God. I want to invite you to hang around after. There's a prayer team up here or I'll be here and we, I, we can talk with you about how you can receive peace with God. So what, other, what are some other ways we as followers of Jesus can be peacemakers? And I think God will put different things on each of our hearts. But there are peacemaking possibilities wherever we go, in our homes and our workplaces. So parents, you have many opportunities to bring peace in your, between your children and their different conflicts. Uh, students, you, in your school, you can go in and you can address bullying. Maybe at work you're a shop steward and you have a role as peacemaker at work and you can do it in the way of Jesus. Some of you are counselors and you're focused on helping people to come to peace within themselves. And some of you are activists by heart and maybe you're called to a bigger kind of reconciliation. Maybe God's calling you to work towards racial reconciliation or reconciliation with our first peoples or maybe prison reform. There are so many ways we can engage in bringing peace. Perhaps you're someone who mourns over the destruction of our planet. Maybe you burn, your heart burns for the healing of the earth and you want to join in with environmental causes. One such organization is Erosha, and they're inspired by the scriptures and, and particularly by the writings of John Wesley. And John Wesley said this, faith in Jesus Christ leads us beyond an exclusive concern for the well-being of other human beings to the broader concern for the well-being of the birds in our backyard, the fish in our rivers, and every living creature on the face of the earth. There are so many ways that Jesus invites us in to bring peace. And what an honor it is that God uh, invites us in. So let's pray and ask God how he would have us live uh, as his children, as peacemakers. Let's pray. So God, we thank you that you are a peacemaker, that you long to see shalom, righteousness, and justice on the earth. You long to see people in right relationship with you, in right relationship to each other, and even in right relationship to this earth that you have created and given us to steward. Let's go. So God, stir in our hearts, uh, strengthen, uh, strengthen our relationship with you, enable our character to be changed and developed so that we can become peacemakers. Open our eyes to the things in our neighborhood, in our homes, in our workplaces where we can bring peace. Jesus, we need you. We cannot do this on, your own, on our own. We need the work of your spirit in our lives. We need you to transform us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.